Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. If you have your Bible, open them up to Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. It's so funny. It's like, um, you know, God can speak through so many different people and it's always the same thing and none of us know beforehand. Like I never talked to Kristen before the service about anything and she didn't, I don't, that I know of, sneak a look at my notes. And, um, and then Matt, obviously, I didn't have any idea what he was going to get up and say. I figured he'd probably be excited, but, but I didn't know what he was going to say. That dude cannot help himself. You should see when the two of us drive down the road in a car together. Oh, my gosh. I, I, for real, I feel like the paint's going to come off of the, the outside of that thing. We just take turns preaching. Like when one of us breathes, the other one starts, you know? It's like I go till I'm out of breath, I go to breathe, and Matt starts, and he goes till he's out of breath. And it, um, It's awesome. So anyways, if you have your Bibles, uh, Genesis 8, chapter 22, I just want to read this real quickly. Um, it's a principle. This is after the flood. So it's the, the flood has happened, and now um, uh, God is explaining to Noah the things that are going to, how, what things are going to be like. He's promising to never again destroy the earth with water like he did and wipe out the population and all that kind of stuff. Then he says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Um, so God, I just, I thank you for your words that we have. God, I thank you that it's alive, that it's not just read it once, done, put it on the shelf, but, but that you speak through it. Holy Spirit, I thank you that as I speak today, that our ears would be open to hear, uh, our minds would, would comprehend, that, that we have the mind of Christ, that we can hear what you are saying through your word. And our hearts would be good soil, that we would receive the seed of that word and it would bear fruit in our lives, God, that a world that does not know you and longs for you would taste the fruit of our lives and see that you're good. I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. So, so he said, as long as the earth exists, these principles will still be in, in effect. And the reason he's reminding him of this is because it's something that started in the garden. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God God saw that it was good. When God created the earth, He did so in a way that it was actually sustainable and could grow. And and when He was done creating the plants and the seed-bearing plants and all that stuff on that day, He was done creating. Because within each of those trees, He created the ability for that, for that tree to reproduce itself a hundred, a thousand, a hundred thousand times over. It's not as if God continued to go around creating. He didn't. When He created the first initial crop, the initial batch, and it caused it to come up out of the ground, it contained within itself the ability to reproduce itself over and over and over and over again. And, and, and we see that principle even in human beings. So God brings a man up out of the ground and He breathes life into him and then within the man is the seed, the ability to reproduce itself once the woman is created. And now all that's needed is for the seed of man to enter the fertile soil of woman and humanity. Life comes from that and reproduces itself. God, God stopped creating humanity the minute that He's created Adam and Eve. 
He never created another human being again until Jesus, the second Adam. And so he's telling Noah, he's saying, this principle is not done. In fact, as long as the earth is created. And so then later on in the New Covenant, Jesus was teaching, and he says in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 26, he says, and he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night, and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So Jesus is teaching and he uses this, this example of seed over and over again. A lot of times the seed in the, in the parables was the Word of God. The sower sows the Word. But, but within that, there's also a principle that when you sow seed, it will reproduce after its own kind. And so he says, a farmer, a man went and sowed seed. What the, one of the things that we have to understand is this. Our entire lives, wherever we go and whatever we do, we're sowing seed. Everything that you do, you are sowing seed. You may not realize it, you may not be doing it intentionally, and you may not be expecting a harvest on it, but that doesn't negate the fact that you are sowing seed and that that seed will reproduce after its own kind when it falls to the ground and dies. The question isn't, am I sowing seed? The question is, what seed am I sowing? And do I like and am I going to enjoy the fruit that it's going to produce in my life? Because every single day, I live with a mindset. Me and Patty have talked about it so many times. It's something that's so invaded my thinking that one day I will live in the fruit of the seeds that I sow today. One day I will eat the fruit of every seed that I'm sowing today. Will it be good? Will it be sweet? Will it be enjoyable? Will it be something that I'm thankful that I sowed? Will it be something that I thank God that I was able to sow? Or will it be something that I regret and want to uproot and rip out of my life because it's bitter and it's sour and it's not good? But one day, I will live in the fruit of every seed that I sow. So he says a man went and, and sowed seed because the man understands that if I sow seed, I'll get a crop. And the seed is what determines the fruit. Like, it would be really weird if a farmer went out into a field and just sowed apple seeds and then went in a house and prayed for oranges. That would be crazy. But how many of us in our lives are sowing one thing and then going into our homes and praying to God to harvest something else? See, God showed me this recently because I feel like there's so many areas of my life where, I, where, where God has changed me. And when I became born again, like so many old things passed away and everything became new. But I still have choices that I make every single day of what I'll sow. And so I realized that like I've, I've, it says, let all anger be put away from you. And I, because I understand this principle of sowing and reaping, I understand if I sow anger, I'm going to reap anger. So when I'm dealing with my wife and I'm dealing with my children, I don't want to sow frustration and irritation and anger into their lives because one day I'll reap frustration, anger, and irritation because of that. And if I continually sow that into people, one day I'll reap a reward of that in my own life. But I gave myself permission kind of when I was on the road. Like, because I don't know these people and they don't hear me and I'm never going to see them again. And so I could say inside the, the comfort of my car whatever I wanted to about somebody out there that I didn't like the way that they drove. And there was a long list of suspects. <laughs> Everybody but me is a horrible driver. Sorry, guys, but if you're on the road in front of me, you're a bad driver too. The only person that is a better driver than me it's not because they're going faster than I am and they're crazy and they're going to get somebody killed. 
So there's just like, there's no happy medium. You're either a worse driver than me because you're going slower, or you're a horrible driver that's going to kill somebody because you're going faster. And so, and when I was in my car, like, you know, these things would happen and, and somebody gets over in front of you and, and then hits their brakes and you think, oh, they're doing that on purpose, you know, and I would, I would, I would oh man, it's, I'm, I'm telling you guys, this is real, the struggle's real. Like, I would sit there and be in the car and, be, and find myself, but I would give myself permission because they're not hearing the words come out of my mouth. And God showed me something really recently, and He said, listen, I don't restrict where you reap by where you sow. You're still sowing anger and frustration and irritation, and one day you're going to reap a harvest of anger, irritation, and frustration if you don't stop and start sowing something different. Because I just kind of figured like, you know, if, if I ever see them again, then maybe they would be mad at me or if they knew what I was saying, but it doesn't matter because there's a principle that says every seed sown will reproduce after its own kind. And I can't sow seeds of irritation and frustration. Even if I'm the only one hearing the words of my mouth, I'm sowing that back into myself. I'm sowing into my own life. What I say matters because I'm the steward of my own heart. And so if I'm allowing myself to sow seeds of irritation and bitterness and frustration into my heart, it's in there some point, and at some point it's going to come out. And it may come out on somebody that does not have anything to do with the situation that caused me to sow the seed into my heart to begin with. And so I find myself in a conversation, and I'm talking to somebody, and they say something, and I take it completely the wrong way. I, I, I get irritated, and I get frustrated, and anger starts to rise up on me, and I think, where did that come from? I know exactly where that came from, because I gave myself permission to give that into my life, some point in my life, and now it's coming back out, and it's not coming back out at the person that caused it to go in to begin with. That person's at their job hours later. They don't even know that I exist. And here I am responding from a place of irritation and frustration because I sowed that into my life. And so God was just speaking about this and He said, listen Roy, here's the deal. Every seed will reproduce after its own kind. You cannot sow frustration and reap peace. It doesn't work like that. You can't sow anger and reap joy. You can't sow fear and reap love. It would be a violation of my principle if what you sowed reproduced a crop that was different than the seed that was sown into the ground. And so, um, so I started thinking about this, this whole process of sowing and reaping lately a lot. And I planned to speak on it like three weeks ago and then two weeks ago and then last week. And, um, but I... I feel like um, a lot of the messages that we preach aren't this way, but I think this is kind of more of like a tools teaching kind of message where it's like if we can get this principle and actually put this in place into our lives, we will see the fruit of it immediately and we'll begin to enjoy and live in the fruit of it. And the great thing about that is is that fruit produces fruit because inside of every fruit is the seed to reproduce itself many times over. 
And so as you start to sow peace, you start to reap peace, and you start to live in abundance of peace, now you have more peace to sow. And every time I reap something, and within it, I, it contains the ability for that seed to reproduce itself over and over and over again. And so every time there's fruit that I'm reaping from something that I've done, from something that God has had me do, from the fruit of the Spirit in my life, every time I'm eating that fruit, I'm also looking for seeds. And we talk about this with a lot of things. It works in finances, but it also works what about like in grace and mercy like if I want to be shown grace and mercy then the thing that I need to do is when I'm out I need to sow grace and mercy and so when somebody does something that could cause me if I wasn't careful to be offended I choose to let love cover a multitude of sin and rather than sow anger and rejection and frustration I actually can sow grace and mercy into their life And in doing so, what I'm doing is I'm saying, this is the way that I want to be treated. Because Jesus said, with the standard you measure, it will be measured also to you. So the way that I'm measuring it out is the way that it's going to be measured to me. And what I sow is going to reproduce after its own kind. So if I see and I look around in my life and the fruit of my life is full of things that I don't like, I don't need to try to fix the fruit. I need to fix the seed. I need to understand that that stuff's not just popping up in my life out of nowhere. That would be a violation of God's Word if I was sowing one thing and another thing was constantly popping up in my life. So if something is constantly popping up, there's a seed problem. I'm sowing something that's causing that and giving that permission to pop up into my life. And so, um, so I'm just looking at like the steps that Jesus talked about. He said he's like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows and how he himself does not even know. And I thought about it. It's like, so this man decides that he wanted a harvest. And sometimes in our lives, we have to look around and say, what do I want? What do I need? What do I lack? What do I see that I want in my life? And like, just take something simple like friendship. Like I have this desire for friendship and deep relationship. Then what do I need to sow? I need to sow friendship. I need to sow the, the commitment to deep relationship. I need to be trustworthy so that I can reap a reward of having friends who are trustworthy. The very thing that I want in my life is the very thing that I need to sow in order to receive it. It would be really weird if I sowed rejection and isolation and then sat in my room praying for friendships and deep relationship. God, would you just send community up to me in my room all alone? God, I just want to be surrounded by friends even though when I see a bunch of people, I avoid them and I go the other way because I don't like making small talk. God, I just want these deep relationships even though I'm shallow as the carpet. I want deep, meaningful relationships, but I'm not willing to be deep and meaningful. I really want relationships where people are vulnerable, but I'm not willing to be vulnerable. It would violate His Word if God gave me the very thing that I'm sowing the opposite of into. And He will not violate His Word. Because He's not a man that He should lie. There is no shadow of turning in Him, and He exalts His own Word above even His name. So when He said that it will reproduce after its own kind... He was telling us something, but He was also speaking something into existence that would never change and that would never go away. So the farmer says, I want a crop. The first thing he does is decide, what kind of crop do I want? If I want wheat, I've got to sow wheat. If I want corn, I've got to sow corn. I'm telling you guys, listen to me. Look around in your lives and you might be surprised how many of us are sowing wheat and praying for corn. 
It's so much better rather than God asking God to do something miraculous if we would actually just take the word that he gave us and, imp- and apply it to our lives and actually live by the principles he's already spelled out. We would need a whole lot less miraculous things to happen if we would actually just follow the principles. There's enough miracle in that of itself. Think about the miracle of a piece of corn falling into the ground, dying, and new life sprouting from it, and it reproducing after its own kind and producing so much more than what originally fell into the ground. There's enough miracle in that to keep science baffled for the rest of eternity. With our combined wisdom of all the ages, we are incapable of creating a seed starting with man-made materials that can produce life. We are completely incapable There's enough miracle in there, believe me, to keep you busy for the rest of your life. So the farmer decides, I want something, so he goes and he sows. And then it says, and he goes to bed at night, and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. So he casts seeds, and then what does he do? This is the part I feel like where a lot of times in my life I've missed it is because I sow seed. And I remember when I was a little kid, my parents said we're going to have a garden. We lived in Florida. I mean, you, could, you can spit a sunflower seed on the ground in Florida and it'll grow. And so they were like, we're going to grow a garden. And, and my dad went and rented this tiller and we had, this, we had a big flat spot in the back of our, our property. And he went over and he tilled the ground into nice neat rows. And then he, we helped him and we planted uh, I remember planting carrots and I think radishes, and then he planted some other stuff. And I remember after we watered it, sitting outside waiting for it to grow. <laughs> I think I was like six or seven at the time, and I remember waiting, and I was thinking, any minute now, something's going to pop up. I might not be able to eat it tonight, but soon there's going to be something popping up. And I remember going to bed that night, like thinking, oh, it's going to take forever to wake up. And so I woke up in the morning, and the first thing I did, I remember, I ran outside, I streaked over to the garden, stood there in my tidy whities and looked disappointed at the ground and saw that there was nothing there still. And I thought, this is a scam. <laughs> we had bad seed. But a lot of times in our lives, you guys, if we're not careful, we'll be like that impatient child that the minute we do something, we start expecting a result and we're judging whether or not the seed was successful or the soil was good by the immediacy of the response. Remember Jesus when it says, and he heard that Lazarus had, 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 was sick and because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed an extra two days where he was. The immediacy of his response didn't prove his love. The end result, Lazarus walking out of a grave proved the Father's love for him. But because he loved him, he stayed an extra two days in the place that he was. It doesn't make any sense. What's he teaching us by doing that? He's saying, listen to me, the fact that I don't respond immediately does not determine whether or not I love you. It's the end result. And if you'll be patient and wait, you'll see my glory revealed. That's what he told Mary and that's what he told Martha. He told Martha, he said, didn't I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? What were they doing? Both of them were looking with disappointment because they didn't see a way that it could happen now that it died. Except Martha did a little bit. That was last week. If you weren't here, get the podcast. It was awesome. Um, I can say that humbly because it's not my word. Like I literally get up and speak a lot of times and those things just are flowing out of me. And I got to go back and listen to it too. And I'm like, God, you're awesome. Thank you. Um, 
But if we're not careful, we'll fall into that trap of saying it didn't work, it's not worth it. It says the farmer plants the seed and then he has something that every single one of us had to have to have. And that is, he trusts that even if he can't see something, there's something happening. Because below the ground, that, fruit, that seed is starting to germinate. It's starting to put out roots. And it's starting to establish itself because there's a big cruel world once it pokes its head through the soil. And it needs to do something while it's below the soil to establish itself so that when it comes through the soil, it can sustain the heat and the wind and the rain. And so that seeds underground, it's like Jesus. He said that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't bring forth life. Jesus dies. He's placed into the ground. And for three days, it looks like nothing's happening. For days, it looked like there was nothing happening in that garden. I remember telling my dad, I think we had bad seed. Or, or bro- I, th- I think I called him broken I think the seeds are broken. My dad, being a little older and wiser, said, just give it time. But if I wasn't in the company of someone who was older, wiser, more mature, and I was incapable of moving away from the house, so I couldn't get away from the garden if I wanted to. But if we're not careful, we can find ourselves judging something to be broken, judging something to be bad, and walking away and never seeing the harvest that is coming, never seeing that shoot come up through the ground because we judged it to be dead because we didn't see something happen the minute that we sowed a seed. And in disappointment, we can walk away. And then somebody comes along a while later and looks and goes, oh my gosh, there's carrots here. Wow, these are amazing. And they're eating them. And I'm over telling my story about how seed in the ground doesn't work if you buy it from this store. How many of us have a story about something that didn't work and it actually has nothing to do with whether it worked or not? It has to do with the fact that we weren't patient enough to actually see it come to pass. And so now we've got a story backed up by our experience and even the truth can't set us free from that because we have determined that our experience is more true than anything else that we hear. And so it doesn't matter what someone tells me. It doesn't matter what, how much someone teaches me. If I'm not willing to let go of my experience for the rest of my life, I will say it doesn't work because I did this and I did this and I did that and I didn't see this. And we'll exalt our experience above truth. And all the while, the only thing lacking was a little bit of patience and a little bit of faith and believing that He would complete what He started. How many people have given up on people because they didn't see something happen soon enough? Well, you know, I'm just not going to waste my time with them anymore. People are never a waste of your time. Ever. Well, yeah, but even Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. No. Yeah, he said that. And what he was saying was, don't give someone something that they have no value for or no use for, but a pig has value for something. Just be careful what you're giving them. Don't try to give them the revelation that it's taken you 25 years to walk in when they're still struggling with, why did my mom die if God loves me? When someone's in the middle of grieving, there's a valuable verse in the Bible that says, grieve with those who grieve, not teach with those who grieve. I've learned that one the hard way. So, anyways, maybe someone needed to hear that. Listen to me. Grieve with those who grieve. Mourn with those who mourn. There will come a time where when God gives you words and opens their heart, you can speak into situations. But when people are grieving and when people are mourning, the best thing you can do is grieve and mourn with them. 
and not try to teach because at that time it's not a teachable moment. And what you can do if you're not careful by giving a pearl to someone that at the moment has no use for it, you can actually drive them farther away. And you can close their ears off for a longer period of time so that the next person who tries to speak truth into their life has an even harder time because rather than tilling the soil, you put concrete over it. Some things aren't in the book they give you when you're a pastor. I'm just kidding, there is no book. (laughs) So he, he has enough patience to just go to bed at night and wake up during the day trusting there's something going on that he can't see. And it says, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. You don't have to know how God's going to do something to trust that He will. A farmer doesn't have to be able to explain every single detail of what's going on under the ground to trust that it will spring up and it will come forward one day. Sometimes I get mixed up in that because I want to be able to explain and give a how for everything because it's the way my mind works. Uh, I, when I hear something, I have to figure out how and why. I start asking those questions, you know, and I have to know how. I have to know why. And sometimes if I can't understand how or why, I'll give up on the fact that it's truth. And I won't even accept it sometimes as truth. Now, I mean, obviously when we're talking about something biblical, I've, surrend- I've submitted myself to the Word and I say, listen, God, even if I don't understand it, I believe it because you said it. But how many things in life have I missed out on because I didn't understand the how or the why? And so I wouldn't actually go ahead and do it because it didn't make sense to my mind. It says the seed starts to grow and it sprouts and he himself does not know why. You don't have to have why figured out. You just have to believe that sooner or later he will do what he said he would do. If he said that he's faithful to to complete that which he began, then he will be faithful to complete that which he began. And sometimes the very thing that you're looking at that you think is evidence that he's not working is actually the thing that needed to happen in their life to bring them to the place of being able to actually see the truth. I know there was a time in my life right before I got born again, like I grew up doing drugs from a young age and, and all that, and, and it just got progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. And if you looked at my life, you would have turned your back and walked away and said, I thought you said that if you train up a child in the way that they should go, that, in their, that they won't depart from it, but that doesn't work because of Roy. I would have been exhibit A. And if someone would have gave up, if my mom and dad would have turned their backs and they would have walked away and they never would have saw me again, they never would have saw what actually happened in my life. But thank God they believed that God would actually finish what He started in my life. And, so, and, and the closer I got to that point of actually seeing Him, the worse things got in my life. I think it was the devil just ratcheting things up. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He really wants to kill you. He really wants to steal. He really wants to destroy you. That's not just like a metaphor. Like, well, you know, my car got stolen. Well, that's because the devil... No, like literally he wants to steal your car, but he wants to steal your life. You have an enemy. Like, don't forget that. You're in a war and there's an enemy and he's defeated and you've been given the ability to walk in victory, but you have to fight every single day. It's a war. He's not playing nice. And so, I think he tries to, this happens a lot of times because he's trying to drive people away from you because the last thing he ever wants is someone to believe in you and speak the truth to you. Have you ever noticed that people who are miserable don't want somebody around them that has the answer for their misery? 
and you start talking to them and telling them the truth, and I'm not talking about sympathy, and I'm not talking about what they want to hear. I'm saying the truth. And they will avoid you like the plague. Because you're not making them comfortable where they are. And truthfully, in their mind, they don't want to get better. They want to be comfortable staying where they are. And they want you to validate it. And if you won't validate their story, then you don't understand, you don't care, or you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. What do your shoes have to do with His Word? As if like when, when Jesus was speaking these things forward, He totally forgot about the fact that that person may let you down in your life. And, and when you get to heaven and stand before Him, He'll say, oh yeah, I, you're right, come on. Like, I totally didn't see that coming. You're lucky it was you and not me. I'll tell you right now, I think you did pretty... And He's not going to do that. Because your shoes have nothing to do with His Word. Now, did bad things happen to you sometimes? Absolutely. Is it horrible? Yes. Does it change the fact that you have everything that you need given to you for life and godliness through the knowledge of His Son Jesus? Absolutely not. And is there one excuse in heaven that will be valid when we stand before Him that day for living less than He died for us to live? If you find it, then that's the only excuse that will be valid here on earth for living less than He called us to live. I'm still looking for it. I cannot imagine a scenario where God looks and says, oh my gosh. I didn't realize that was going to happen. Oh, well, in that case, forget everything I said. Forget everything that Jesus did. And let's just... You're special. Bring them the robe that has the little scars on it. No, because I want you to tell everyone in heaven what happened to you because your story is so impressive to me that I want it to be impressive to everybody for eternity. He's not going to do that. Because he believes there's a story that's more impressive than any story that we could tell, and that's his son coming to earth, living a sinless life on our behalf, being mistreated by every single person in his life. At some point, he was betrayed, had his back turned, was left, was denied, was stolen from, was betrayed was beaten, was cursed, had his beard ripped out, had everything done, and he actually was perfect. And yet, the only thing he could think to do in response was look out and see the faces of the ones who are snarling at him and saying, if you're really the Son of God, cast yourself down from the, from the, from the cross. You came, you came to save the world? Save yourself. And all he can do is look at them with love in his eyes and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If he was capable of doing that, and he said that the life that we live, no longer we live for ourselves, but it's Christ who lives in us, then we have the ability through the strength of Christ in us and the leading of the Holy Spirit to look at every single person that would mistreat and misuse us and have love in our eyes and be able to say, they just don't know what they're doing. God, forgive them. There's a day coming when they'll see truth and they'll live and they'll understand, and they'll probably have regret, but I'm not going to make it at my expense, and I'm not going to live wounded the rest of my life because they don't know who they are. I am not going to allow brokenness in somebody else to cause brokenness to multiply in me. I will not let that seed reproduce itself after its own kind. So you understand people are trying to sow seed into you all the time. 
It's the enemy's plan. Plant a seed of evil so that evil will reproduce itself in you. Plant a seed of frustration so frustration will reproduce after its own kind. And every time you fall for it and take the bait and you swallow that fruit, you eat the seeds and it will reproduce after its own kind. That's why Jesus said, everyone who would come after me must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. What was he saying? He said, if you would take me inside of you, I will reproduce after myself on the inside of you and that will come out of you. You've got two choices. There's two different fruit. In the garden, they ate the first Adam ate the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And what did it do? Sin reproduced itself in Adam and in Eve, and it reproduced itself in every single person that would be born from that day forward. Then the second Adam comes, and he doesn't eat the fruit. Remember, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. What's he saying? Eat the fruit. Just do what the first Adam did. Eat the fruit. And Jesus defeats him. Never eats the fruit. Never takes the bait. He said, Satan has no place in me. Why? Because he never ate the fruit. There was never a seed in him that could reproduce after its own kind of anything but the seed of God that was placed inside of Mary from the beginning. That was the only thing he was capable of reproducing because it was the only seed that was inside of him. And then what did he say? He said he's the first fruit of many brethren. He hung on a tree just like the first fruit in the garden. Now he is the first fruit of everyone who would be born again. He hangs on a tree and he said, if you will eat of me, I'll get inside of you. The Holy Spirit will come. He's the seed, the sperma of God, and he will reproduce inside of you the fruit of my life if you'll just eat of me. You get to choose. And every time you live in response to what somebody does to you, you're letting them determine the seed that you're going to sow. You're the steward of your own heart. You allow the fruit of whatever you want into your own life. Nobody can do that for you. See, that's like one of the biggest things that we have to come to a place of realizing is saying, listen, I am ultimately responsible for everything that comes from my mouth and every action in my life. That's a big burden to some people. It's the most freeing thing everywhere because if I understand that every single thing that I have done wrong, I chose to do, then that means that every single time I'm tempted to do something wrong, I can choose not to. Because He is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can stand. But with every temptation will provide a way of escape that we may step out from under it and escape temptation without sin. So every time that fruit has reproduced inside, it's because I've opened my mouth and I've willingly ate of it and I've allowed that seed to come inside of me and reproduce itself outside of me. The beautiful thing about that is, is I can, I can, if I choose, I can guard and steward my heart to the point where I never allow a seed of anything but Him to come inside my heart once I'm born again. Once I'm born again, once I am born again, the Spirit of God lives in me. I am no longer just a sticking board for everything that comes along. I now choose because there's what, what it says in the, in the Word. It says, what can light have to do with darkness or what does Baal have to do with God? In other words, you're filled with the Spirit of God. There's nothing dark inside of you. If you're full of light, there is no darkness inside of you. 
If you feel like there's darkness inside of you, it's an area where your understanding hasn't been open and there might be a fog, but once the fog leaves, you'll see the light was there all along because he came inside of you and he completely filled you. You're not partway born again. You're not partway a new creation. You're not kind of fixed up the old you. You're a brand new creation in Christ. Everything old has passed and behold, everything has been made new. You are completely new on the inside and now you get to choose what gets planted into your life. See, before you were born again, you didn't get to choose. You were born into Adam. You were born into sin. That seed of the first Adam was born in you and you were born into sin. When you become born again though, that seed is gone and you're a new creation born again into the second Adam. God will never again look at you as if you were born into the first Adam because you've been born again into the second Adam. And He sees you as as you are. Pure, holy, upright, blameless, and beyond reproach because you're covered with the blood of His Son because you're born again in Him. And now you get to choose what seed gets inside of you and what fruit gets reproduced in your life. You get to choose. And nobody can choose that for you. People can yell at you. People can slander you. People can do anything they want to you. You do not have to eat that fruit and allow that seed to reproduce. But if you live in response to people rather than the Gospel, you will let everybody else determine the harvest that you reap because you'll let them determine the seed that you sow. And if you give that dominion over to people, if you give it to them, there's nothing God can do because He will not violate your own will. And if you willfully accept that stuff into your life, you will reap the fruit of it one day. So it says, the seed sprouts and grows and how He Himself does not know. And it says, then it says in 28, the soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Now once you've done what, what you know to do, and once you've sowed the seed, there's nothing to really do besides trust and have patience. And it says, first the blade pops up. You guys understand that the first thing that you see isn't the end result when you've sowed a seed. You cannot judge a corn's ability to reproduce after its own kind by the first little shoot that comes up out of the ground. You can't look at a corn plant a month into the process and determine whether or not the seed was successful because a month into it, it looks nothing like a finished corn plant and there's nothing that even resembles a kernel of corn. See, a lot of times in my life, I've been, I've been guilty of that where I've sown into someone's life and sown into someone's life and sown into someone's life and the immediate response that I see doesn't look like what I wanted the end result to look like and what I know according to the Word the end result should look like. And rather than having enough time and patience, I've judged it as, well, I guess that's just not working. I guess that's not going to happen. And I've looked at a one-month-old corn plant and I've tried to judge it by the standard of a one-year-old corn plant. It doesn't look anything like it at first. It's not supposed to. And so don't get disappointed when what you see popping up out of the ground looks nothing like the thing that you expected it to look like. Give it time and trust that as it grows, it is becoming more and more and more. I wasn't the exact representation of Jesus the second that I was born again. I had the ability to exactly reproduce Him and represent Him to people, but there was also things that I had to unlearn that I had learned. My mind had to be renewed to truth, and there were patterns of actions and behavior that had to be broken off of my life. If you would have looked at my life the next day and judged me by the same standard that you would judge me by today, I was a failure back then. 
but I was such a success in God's eyes because I was actually moving in the right direction. He celebrates every little thing. We're so worried about the immediate. He's so worried about the end result. And He celebrates every victory along the way. We look at something that's barely poking through the surface and we think, oh my gosh, it's been a month and that's all that's grown. And God looks and goes, look, it's growing. It's growing. It's working. And this is something I want to tell you to be really careful about. When something that God has deposited into your heart first springs to the surface, the enemy is after it. Because he understands it is the most vulnerable it will ever be in that moment. When when an acorn falls on the ground out there and it gets germinated and a tree starts to pop up, you can walk out there with two fingers and you can pluck it from the ground, but you give it long enough and two men can't rip it out of the ground with their hands. Give it even longer, and two men with trucks can't rip it from the ground. It's the most vulnerable the second that it emerges, and the enemy understands this, and he will be coming after it the minute that it pops free. See, when it's under the soil, he doesn't know. There's things going on under the surface. He can see something's happening. He kind of knows. It's like with Jesus. Remember, he was always looking to find, would this be the one? Would this be the Son of God? He sees favor on Moses' life. He moves in Pharaoh's heart. Has Pharaoh kill all the baby boys in the land? Why? He's trying to wipe out the one because he doesn't know until he actually sees. So he sees favor on David. He thinks, well, he's God's anointed. Maybe he's the one who's here to crush my head. And so he rises up in Saul and tries to get Saul to kill David. He's constantly after the seed of the woman that God promised would come forward that would crush his head that he was going to bruise his heel. And so he's looking for it because he doesn't want his head crushed, but he doesn't understand and he doesn't know what's going on until he actually sees something. See, he can have an idea. He can suspect because he hears the words that are being spoken into your life. He sees what you're doing in your life. But until he actually sees something start to sprout, there's nothing he can do about it. But the minute it sprouts is the minute that he goes into action and decides, I've got to stop this thing now because the longer this thing goes, the harder it's going to be for me to uproot it. And I promise you, we have got to be a people that will come alongside people who have just sprouted up and protect them, not be the people who come along and point out their faults and find something wrong with them. I promise you. Listen, the enemy's doing a great job of accusing them every time they do something wrong. The last thing they need is for us to echo those words. Ask yourself that. Because if he's called the accuser of the brethren, and Jesus said, my words are life, when I speak into someone's life, whose voice do I echo? The enemy or Jesus? Who do I sound like? He's the accuser of the brethren. He does not need your help. I promise you. And when people are just starting to sprout, the enemy's after it, and he wants so badly to rip it from the ground before it has a chance. All right, I'm going to finish up with this. And then maybe we'll get to the rest of it next week because next week talks about in Galatians and what that looks like in our lives. And so it says, the soil produces crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Another mistake we make sometimes is once something looks like what the finished product should be, we determine that if it looks like it, it must be ready. But see, it says, first the sprout, 
then the mature head, then the grain within the head. In other words, there is a time where it begins to look like what the finished product will look like, but yet everything that's needed hasn't been deposited inside of it yet. Wait and be patient. Because God's probably forging something in them. That's, what, that's why He says don't put a young person, a young believer in a position of leadership. Because they may look like they're ready for leadership, but there's things that God needs to deposit inside of them that you can't see that are not there yet. And in the inside, He's doing something in them that you can't see. And if you only judge by the outside, you'll miss it and you'll jump too early. So it says first the sprout, then the, the head, then the grain within the mature head. In other words, the last thing that happens is on the inside. You can't see it from the outside. It's being done from the inside out. That's why you need to have the eyes to see not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because if you're strictly looking according to the flesh, all you can go by is the external. See, this is a mistake that Samuel made because he's looking at the outside and he sees the big warrior oldest son who looks like a king walk up and he says, surely he must be the one. Why? Because he's looking from the outside and God says, Samuel, you're looking on the outside, but I'm looking at the heart. I promise you men are still looking at the outside and God's still looking at the heart. First the sprout. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. The last thing that happens before that thing is mature and ready for what God intended it to do is internal. And it says, um, sorry, I've got to find that in my notes. It says something cool. It says, but when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You don't get to determine when. I wish I did. I wish like, like I could determine when. I wish I had an easy button or a fast forward button. You just Sometimes you want to see things in people's lives so badly. Or you want to see something in your own life so badly. And a lot of times there's a process that you have to go through that you cannot cheat. And if you were to put the sickle in early when the mature head appeared but didn't have the grain inside of it, you would be back to square one. Not only that though, the ability for that thing to reproduce itself is not yet inside of that thing and so you would have to start over with raw seed and you'd have to start all over again listen don't jump early in your own life don't jump early in other people's lives it says when the crop permits how do you know when the crop permits how do you know well a farmer knows because he counts the days how's that work with people How many of you have looked at somebody and thought, they have been following Jesus for X, by now they should be Z? Come on, be honest. Don't look at me like that. We've done it. Because see, we want to count days like a farmer does with wheat, but people aren't wheat, they're people. So how do you know when someone's ready? The only way that Samuel knew who the, son, who the king was supposed to be. He had to listen to hear the voice of God, shut off what he saw in the natural, and trust that what he heard from God was truer than what he saw with his own eyes. So we see men no longer according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do you know when it's time when God tells you? How important is it that we walk according to the Spirit? and not according to the flesh. We're going to get into that next week from Galatians. It's amazing because there's an amazing promise in there. 
And there's also an amazing warning in there. It's just this week, like take inventory of that. Think about every day in so many areas. You can look at finances. Where am I sowing? Do I like the fruit of that? Look at words. What am I saying? Do I like the fruit of that? You know, I, we've been married for 10 years and she's just not the woman she was. Well, part of that's her responsibility. But since you guys are one, part of that responsibility is yours. What have you been sowing into her? I hope my wife's not the woman she was, but I hope for all good reasons. I hope that me sowing into her life causes her to look more like Jesus. I hope that the words that I speak to her build her up and not tear her down. I hope the words that I speak encourage her into being more than causing her to want to hide and be less. Just look at the fruit. Think about the words. Like, think about the words you're speaking and look at the fruit it's producing. If you don't like the fruit, it's the seed that has to change. It's not the fruit's fault. Nobody goes out and curses an apple tree for growing apples because apple seeds produce apple trees and apple trees produce apples. And nobody stands there and says, I cannot believe I put apples in the ground and now I have apples coming out. Everybody understands. If I plant apples, I get apples. Why do we think that we can sow something into somebody and then get mad when the fruit looks exactly like the thing that we're sowing into them? Why do we think we can sow apples into people's lives and then get angry when we see apples rather than oranges? What about our own life? You know, because the most dangerous lies in the world are the ones we tell ourselves. What about our own lives? What about the fruit of what I'm telling myself and what I'm believing? What about the things that I think on? What about the things that I meditate and I dwell on? Do I like the fruit of that? Do I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Or do I see the fruit of the flesh? Do I see love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness, mercy and meekness? Do I see those things coming out in my life and do I enjoy a life full of the fruit of the Spirit? Or does it look a lot more like thorns and thistles? And just be honest with ourselves and say, listen, I'm not going to get mad at the fruit. The fruit did exactly what it's supposed to. In fact, it did exactly what God said it would. It reproduced after its own kind. I'm going to change the seed. And I'm going to start sowing something different, knowing that in due time, if I don't grow weary, I'll reap a reward of righteousness. And that, yeah, there may be some thorns coming up, but I promise you, the minute I start speaking peace, something's changing even if I can't see it and I'm not going to stop speaking peace just because the next day I see chaos I'm going to believe that below the surface there's more going on than I can see and I'm going to trust that if I don't grow weary in well-doing if I continue to sow good things one day I'll reap a reward of goodness and I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living Father we thank you for who you are God I just thank you for for these these principles you've given us God and I thank You that, that, that we can be honest with ourselves, God. That we can examine the fruit of our lives. God, we can see where there's areas where we feel like we have lack. And God, I pray that You would cause us to be able to see that it's a seed problem, God. That we would begin to sow the very thing that we lack. 
God, that if we don't like the harvest that we're getting, that we wouldn't get mad at the harvest. We would get angry that we've been deceived into sowing something that caused that harvest. And we would find what it is. We would destroy that seed and we would start to plant good seed. God, we would speak words of life from our mouth. We would speak words of encouragement that when I speak, my voice would echo the voice of the Father, not the voice of the accuser. And I thank You, God, that in my own life, the things I speak over myself and the things I believe over myself and about myself line up with what You say about me and what You believe to be true. And I just thank You for that in Jesus' name.